Joining us via telephone again is uh, Lewis Black. Lewis, thanks for taking time out and talking with us today. Well, I, I, I wouldn't if I had a life. <laughs> it's, you've got a, a very uh, charmed life from what I understand, and, and we appreciate you taking time out and talking with us, uh, all things considered. Um, maybe a good place to start out with is, is how has your trip to uh, Chautauqua County and Jamestown been so far this year? Well, it's been great. I mean, you know, we got to uh, work. Um, I was at Chautauqua at the Institute there, and uh, so I got to spend time and watch and listen to uh, – the Smothers Brothers talk about their career, and uh, I know Tommy a bit, and so uh, for the first time I got to meet Dickie Smothers, and they were ex- just, it was an incredible presentation, um, and uh, they did a bit really at the beginning, you know, and uh, and then just talked about how how the how their series went and what, it, what their careers were like, and then Frank Oz was there. Uh, it was followed by, uh, and then... Uh, it, David Steinberg, who was the manager of um, Robin Williams, and I knew Robin. Uh, we talked about his uh, his life, and um, and uh, that was uh, that was a really uh, that was that was really uh, went well. I mean, it went, it, we didn't cry. That's what I mean by it didn't. It went well. We was it was tough, but it was good. Right, right, and I, I would imagine you don't really have too many opportunities to sit in front of an audience the size that you get at Chautauqua Institution and reflect on something um, as meaningful and as serious as, uh, you know, Robin Williams and what he meant to you and what he meant to comedy. Exactly. And then it ended up the week with Maria Bamford, who is uh, a really, if uh, the folks who are listening don't know her, it's well worth looking up. She's uh, she's a comic who's gone through a, a great deal and kind of integrated. She has uh, she's had uh, problems with mental illness and uh, has really uh, overcome them to become a comedian and uh, and used it as material in her act, and it's it's kind of brilliant. Right on. Uh, you've become an annual fixture here in the Jamestown area the past few years during the Lucio Ball Comedy Festival, anyway. Why is it important for you to be here each year? Well, I mean, I got... Uh, uh, it was Kelly Carlin. I mean, what I, what's interesting is, is when, when they started the festival, I knew um, uh, one of the guys who was involved in it. When they started the festival 100 years ago. <laughs> right. And... I did the first three or four years, and then was never never brought back. I came back. I did a couple of things during the year at places, and I liked coming up here. And uh, and, I, and my career really hadn't taken off, so it was great to be able to come up here and and, and, and work. And people seemed to like me. And then it stopped. And then uh, Kelly Carlin got in touch and said. Uh, that, uh, she, that she wanted me to meet the, the folks who were putting the comedy center together. She was thinking of giving George her, her father's uh, her, all of his all of his stuff to the center, and uh, so I became involved at that point and became a uh, a big supporter of it and pushed and tried to direct people that I knew could help us out in terms of you know and help the folks here really out in terms of getting it up and going. I thought it was. From the very beginning, I thought what what they intended to do and what they were looking to do was really extraordinary, and it, and I kept saying, you know, this is it. I mean, this is our shot. You know, nobody, people had tried it. I'd been involved with all sorts of people had gotten in touch with me about let's do this, let's do that. Would you help? And they never got anywhere. And then all of a sudden, this was moving along, and it was in the right direction, and. I said if they could get 60% of it done, I'd be thrilled. And they got most of 90% to 95%. They got 90% done by the time they opened, which is insane. And now I'd say they're at about 95%. I mean, no, you can almost not reach 100% because there's always, oh, what about this? 
Right. And I understand they're they're continuing to do that, oh, what about this, where they're adding different uh, programs and dynamics to the National Comedy Center, and hopefully it continues to involve and doesn't remain static. I think that's kind of the, the premise behind it, is that it doesn't just uh, be a museum and, and that's it. There's always different things that can be added to it, right? Well, exactly. I mean, the Smothers Brothers contributed um, they're, they're all of the things that they have. Their legacy, their comic, comedic legacy has been contributed. They have... Um, uh, it was at Dickie's base is there and, uh, their costumes are there and, um, and their notes are there and their scripts are there and the Supreme court decision about them is there. And, um, and, and then they're doing a thing, uh, this week, um, we talked about him last week. I was there. I was lucky enough to be involved in that, but we talked, they have, uh, you know, um, really, uh, they're showing, uh, it's a, a tribute to, uh, Bernie Kovacs, who's not really as, well known as he should be, and uh, it's kind of his history was kind of missed in terms of television and comedy. Um, so his 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 things will be there, and and they'll exp- everything will expand. It's like the Library of Congress of comedy, right on. But but not but fun. <laughs> but fun yeah yeah so this is the week of comedy that's happening in jamestown it's a big event you know we've got several big names in town including yourself sebastian maniscalco john mulvaney in jamestown yes. brian regan at chautauqua plus a number of up-and-coming stand-ups how does this week in jamestown compare to the amount and caliber of entertainment you might find in in other areas of the country including the big cities you know where you typically will, will be found at well i mean for this week it's kind of extraordinary you have to you have, there's, you have three of the major names, and you know, with Brian and Sebastian and, and John, it's we're all performing in, a, in the same week. That you, that you never see that. That's completely rare. You get three headliners of that stature. They're in the top ten of, of you know of comics who perform in theaters at this point. I mean, Sebastian performs in arenas at this point. It's you know, it's incredible. So uh, it's a it's a real opportunity for the folks around here to to, uh, you know, this doesn't happen very often. Now, speaking of opportunities, you're involved with two separate projects this week on Wednesday. First, a stand-up class, and then a panel discussion on George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words legal case. Now, uh, you're revered in the entertainment world as being one of the top stand-ups in the business. Why is it important for you to share with others what you know and have learned about stand-up comedy and and conduct a a class like the one you're having on Wednesday? Well, what I'm doing is really for the the folks to give them an understanding of how I ended up in it and um, to give for folks who were kind of, you know, it's like uh, for folks who were fascinated by, by comedy, um, it's to give them and you know, at least from my point of view, there's Brian has a different point of view or someone else would have a different point of view, but you know, I had an arc that I can follow and, and, and pretty much explain how I ended up in it. And then also to give them a sense of how, um, how I approached becoming a comic and, uh, I think how I approach becoming a comic is a good way for someone who wants to think about it. Um, it's a, a way in which they can, can can think about becoming a comedian, which is, I did it through storytelling and rather than thinking about punchlines at first. Because I, I never really thought I'd be a comic. I just was doing it for fun. So when, when it comes to uh, getting material, you seem to be on top of a lot of... Uh issues and, and things that are happening in, in the national consciousness, do you take a lot of time to have to do that research, or does it come naturally where you're reading the paper and say, ah, there's something that I can talk about to roll into my uh, my next routine? Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, f- 
friends of mine will call me and say, uh, did you see this? <laughs> They'll send me something, <laughs> right. an article. A lot of the times it's just finding articles that allow you to talk about things without ta- talking about the things directly. So um, especially more and more, it needs to be, um, you need to find a way at something because people are so in, entangled. It's much easier. I've said this time and again, and it, it's truer even now than before. It's easier for me to go to Canada to stand up at this point because nobody's they're not taking sides they get the joke from the beginning here it is like well what does he mean by that whose side is he on what's he talking about right you almost have to know the room ahead of time and it's hard when you have a large audience because there's so much diverse viewpoints and opinions yeah, yeah. And, and it's the, the viewpoints have become entrenched in ways that have nothing to do with any reality system whatsoever you know we're not here it's compromises the way this works i don't know when they thought that you know this was some sort of a of a battle that needed to be won. It doesn't need to be won. It's a compromise, okay? There are people who believe one thing, there are people who believe another thing, and then they have to sit across from each other at a table and figure out how to do it. Yeah, what, a, no- tough. Yeah, what a novel idea. I think that's the way it was supposed to be for, for centuries. Yeah, and so, it, so for me, it's, uh, it's really finding ways to, to uh, you know, finding out really what, it, you know, how to get people to look at it. And I've always been kind of even-handed about it. You know about what I think until until certain things come along, and I go, no, I'm not. This is I'm not. There's no uh, uh-uh. you crossed the line has been crossed. We're not. There's no even handed here. Okay, right on. This is the joke. The joke is about this. This is insane. So I'm going to tell you why this is insane. Again, we're talking. And, you know, it was kind of like ten years ago when Nick Santorum, or eight years ago when Santorum was talking about gay marriage and some of the things that he would say about gays. But no. You don't get to say this stuff. That's not even true, right? And st- if you and if you took what he said and went to its logical conclusion, which is what I did in my act, it becomes funny. So a lot of serious issues are happening not only this week, but you know, throughout the past two and a half years, mm-hmm. you get to the point where you know you, it's so scary that it's no longer funny, or, or is that the last resort that we have is is humor to help get us through uh, what it some might view me, as a it crisis? Took me, it t- it took me a while to um, to find a way to, to to make it light again, and uh, to kind of find a way because they both said it was like you either talk you know people who came to see me it was you didn't talk enough about it, or I talked to and the people who had uh, might think in other ways I didn't talk enough you know I talked too much about it which I didn't do I didn't do either okay so so it's. Uh, so it became, and then I think I finally found it. It was like finding, when it came to, uh, it, I was trying for, but, you know, I, I tried all sorts of ways to talk about gun safety, okay? It was impossible. Impossible. Because immediately, the audience would go into, to their corners and, and get ready to do battle with whatever I was saying. Well, something occurred in the church in which to, uh, a couple, uh, a guy was explaining gun safety was doing a gun safety lecture and shot himself and his wife no one was killed but it's a story that uh is funny and it allowed me to talk i don't have to mention i don't have to talk about it i don't have to be direct about it this actually happened you know um it's you know it was like uh it was like i didn't I, i thought you know if i was smart enough i would have written the story but it makes it even better because it's a real story. So I can step back and let the story do the work for me. Truth stranger than fiction. Yeah, because you can't, 
even if you, you know, no matter what your take is on it, you can't go, that didn't happen. It happened. <laughs> right again. Okay? And this is the guy who's talking about, meanwhile, while talking about gun safety. And he was 85 years old and carrying a gun around. <laughs> well, I think we could discuss that. Talking with Lewis Black. So, so you were involved in a panel discussion last year, uh, Lewis, uh, on Lenny Bruce and his effort to fight censorship as an entertainer, saying it was uh, protected under the First Amendment. This year, you continue the theme of focusing on where comedy intersects with the law with uh, George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words legal case. Uh, how important is it do you have these type of conversations, and also uh, why do you, do you want to take part in them? Well, it's, you know, because it's to honor the, the guys who... Um, made it possible for me to stand in public and say things that uh, I use. I use certain words that bother might bother people. I consider them to be adult language. You know, I don't sit there and say this in front of kids. I don't use it on the radio unless I'm allowed to. Um, I think they're words that, uh, that adults use to express anger, frustration, you know, rage. Um, and so uh, to, to kind of honor Mr. Carlin and his memory, I think it's important to uh, to be sure that we go back and uh, say, you know, to show, and also that people forget, and you, you kind of can, and and they boy, you know, we learn more and more as every year passes. People forget, and uh, we got a whole generation of kids who don't know what happened ten years ago. You know, I was asking kids, you know, people in their early twenties, do they know who the Smothers Brothers were? No, hmm. so. It's like, you know, people just, you know, don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of things. So you kind of have to gather from time to time and go, here's what happened. It's why people go to church. It's to tell the stories again. I get it. So the important stories. Right. And the seven dirty words is maybe one of the most important when it comes to uh, comedy on, on a media such as television, for example. And, yeah. and trying to delineate what can and cannot be said. Um, I always thought it was fascinating that Carlin was able to come up with these seven words, and then the, the FCC took those seven words, and those were the seven words after he did his routine. He didn't come up with them after the FCC decided. He almost told the FCC what, yeah. where, where the guidelines should be. It's just amazing how he was able to uh, Yeah, that's to really that. true, yeah. Uh, I, I did want to talk with you uh, about one other thing, and that is, Carlin, Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, Bill Hicks, and other comedy trailblazers who cast a large shadow in the stand-up comedy world with their uh, uncompromising, often irreverent approach to comedy. Is there any single comedian today or uh, any number of comedians who continue that legacy of being trailblazers in stand-up comedy? Or is it really more of a group effort now where you have so many who are doing it, there really isn't even one who stands out above the others? I mean, I I don't really know who would stand out. There's just a number of them, you know, um... You know, I mean, Samantha B does it on her show. Uh, you know, John Oliver does it on his. There's a guy named Ted Alejandro who really kind of does it. There's a guy named, um, gosh, like Doug Stanhope is mm-hmm. a guy who works in very small rooms around the country because uh, he's, you know, he really pushes the envelope. Um, there are all sorts of folks out there. You know, David Tell continues to push the envelope in fashion. Um, there, there, there are a number of folks out there. You know, I try to do it and uh you know and uh i'm sure if uh when if john stewart comes back to stand up he'll be doing it and um and i probably missed some names along the way but uh um but i think uh you know i think sarah silverman that has her moments they're, they're, everybody is kind of um 
everybody kind of is made there is making a push in there one way or another. And there's so many. What I, I think more interesting than those who are trailblazers is how many really good comedians are out there now. All right. I'd imagine you talk with a lot of entertainers and comedians over the course of a year, given your involvement in show business. Does Jamestown of the National Comedy Center ever come up in conversations? Yeah, because I tell them to come up here, see the stuff, see what they're doing. But it might be a place that they may want to send their stuff eventually. Um, and I and I and I talk about it in my act uh, because I tell a story in my act in which uh, uh, which occurred while well, I was partly because I was on on the road with uh, uh, Jenny Gunderson, who was the the spokesperson and uh, the, really the, the one of the major heads of the. The kind of the face of the comedy center in, in Journey's done a terrific job, and she was, she actually picked me up at the airport late one evening, and I was coming to see the comedy center. So the next night, when I was on Stephen Colbert talking about it, I did I wanted to see it so I could really be talk about it. And on the way, we stopped at McDonald's, and something interesting happened. <laughs> and, uh, in my, so I talk about that in my act. I mean, essentially, what happened was instead of I said I asked, did they know the difference between the McNuggets and the the chicken tenders, and and the, and then they didn't. <laughs> and then I finally asked the next person when I finally got it, and the the person said that the the tenders tasted a little bit more like chicken. <laughs> Oh, brother. But I, but I set it up by talking about the Comedy Center and why I'm on the road and why it's late at night. And then I go into, basically, I do a, a two-minute commercial for the Center because I think that's the next step is getting the word out there. All right. Well, you're doing a wonderful job. We really appreciate it, of course. Uh, anytime you take time out of, of your busy schedule to come back uh, here to Jamestown and help us out, we do appreciate it, Lewis. Uh, anything else it's you want to you add before we wrap it up? No, I'm just uh, you know if you can you know if you want to get a get a come on by and see either the George Carlin at the the Jackson Center it'll be it'll, that'll be um, if that's uh, should be a really good panel the last one we did on Lenny Bruce was terrific and then uh, you know and if you do want to whatever my my small insights are in the comedy come on by and uh, you can still get tickets for that and if uh, you know the more people who come and I don't and just so folks know you know I'm not I don't take any money for doing that there's a a ticket price on that, so one thing they should know if they come to see it, even if they don't like what I'm what I do, that they basically have given a contribution to the comedy center, which is point important. So the money goes to the comedy center, doesn't go to me. Well, hopefully, you get a free cup of coffee if nothing else. I get a cup of coffee, and occasionally they give me some water. Nice, Lewis Black. <laughs> thank you so much for talking with us today on WRFA. Hey, it's a pleasure. It's nice to be back in Jamestown.